the content being great is not the reason for its success. You know, the, the big, big difference between series one and series two has been our distribution strategy. This is That Marketing Podcast. Made by marketers for marketers. Welcome to another episode of That Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Spotlight UK. Today, we've got a podcast about podcasts. My guest is Howard Kosky, the founder and CEO of Marketeers for DC. Drawing on 30 years of broadcast media experience, Howard talks to me about the state of the podcasting market, the technology changes that have made it all possible, and the difficulty of judging failure or success with a new podcast. I hope you enjoy. So, great, Howard, thank you very much for joining us to do a podcast about podcasting. It's suitably suitably meta for this time of day, I think. Yeah, nice to, nice to see you. The first thing I wanted, I thought I should really talk was understand the history of podcasting, because I knew they were older than this current sort of wave, but it turns out the, the first use of it is actually from 2004, which is way earlier than what I would have originally pegged. So, I mean, what accounts for that? 60, was it 16 year lag between them sort of first coming onto the scene and that and the explosion of them that we've got now do you think yeah i mean the, in its most simplest sense probably two factors one the quality of the audio content being produced but i think even more important is the technical infrastructure um i mean i was involved in podcasts probably from about 2008 2009 um at the time the rss feed was going to be the new big thing um but you've got to remember that was a day where streaming of audio didn't really exist smart speakers weren't there bluetooth headsets didn't, you know wasn't wasn't the norm so actually the concept of a podcast back in the day was a piece of on-demand audio content you know a radio show you listen to when you fancied um but very limited distribution from a technical perspective so you know even though you had the ability to listen to some good content was out there, it wasn't easy to do so. Um, you know, streaming players were clunky. You know, you got to remember we weren't on 4G or 5G now. You know, 3G was it. So, so it's one of those things where I think the concept of radio and audio on demand has always been very popular, but the technical infrastructure wasn't there to support it. And then obviously of late, I think you've got production companies, individuals, talent names media owners recognizing that it's a it's a channel to reach audiences so they've invested heavily so the quality of the podcast that you can listen to now and the different genres has exploded um similar to walking into a bookshop where you'll have fiction non-fiction city guides news podcast libraries pretty much the same so the choice and the quality of the choices is you know far greater now than it was back in 2004. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, when we started doing this one back in, you know, it's been about a year and a half, two years. This one's been running. No, I think it's it, it's oh, a podcast sounds really exciting. Then you yeah, you get into it and you go actually, you know what? As long as you can, you've got a decent microphone to record some audio and somewhere you can save it. That's that's pretty much it. So, I mean, what other things do people need to think about if they're, if they're starting a podcast for themselves? So I follow a couple of producers who think that the podcast is going to almost be like the company blog in a little while that they'll be so ubiquitous that you won't be able to move even way beyond the explosion 
that we have now. Do you think that puts people off starting that there's so much out there already that it feels like an overcrowded space? Well, well, one, I do think it's overcrowded. Um, but I suppose, again, it's, you know, the, the low barrier to entry of self-publishing is one of the reasons why you've got so much in the market. Um, and I think the, the reality is it's not putting people off, the far, far from it. I think people aren't, you know, people that want to self-publish aren't too worried about auditing the market beforehand. You know, I think someone has a great idea. Obviously, you know, it's great. So you've got your studio now, mic, pop shield, yeah. decent sounds, you know, all the rest of it. But the reality is the earlier podcasts you may have produced would have been on a very basic piece of kit, which wouldn't require a size of an investment. So what you've got is you've got a lot of individuals who want their 15 minutes of fame. You've got a lot of people who want to be heard. And this is a platform for them to be able to say what they want to say. So what you've got is you've got a market that's exploded because one, it's global. There's global distribution. It's relatively inexpensive to do so. The cost to produce compared to video, uh, I'd argue, is is an awful lot less. So you've got, you've, I think you've seen a surge in brands, individuals, publishers rushing almost for the land grab because it's it's very it's still quite embryonic. I would I, I believe in terms of how mature the market is. So I think a lot of people are doing it, but the concern you would have is having a low barrier to entry also means some people can be guilty of bypassing some of the stringent audit processes and checks that maybe you'd put in place if I said to you, do you want to produce a physical print magazine 10 years ago? You know, the amount of time and effort resource to produce a printed magazine 10 years ago and the costs involved and the human resource, the research, stories, the print, the art, the copy, the, the, the distribution of it, you wouldn't just go one day, do you know what? I'm going to produce a magazine tomorrow. So, and I think with podcasting, what you've got is, it's a, it's kind of people publishing in an audio format that's a lot easier than print was, is. Um, but because of that, you get a lot of vanity. And you, you do get, as you reference, you know, like company blogs, someone saying, right, this is what I'm going to say, so I'm going to say it. And I think there are some glaring area, errors that, you know, just because you want to say it doesn't mean anyone wants to hear it. And, you know, if you were being measured, if the success of your podcast, you know, was measurement of number of listens, downloads, subscribers, you know, it's not for me, you know, takes the place possible, it's not for me to question whether you still get the funding for the podcasts. And that's, and that's what brands tend to do. I mean, we see an awful lot of talent, interestingly, who come to us where they've, they've, they're producing a podcast, they're getting like 1,500, 2,000 downloads. And they want fame. They they want they want fame and fortune. You know, when they, when you cut the chase of it, they contact. They say we're trying to monetize it, and they they're struggling to understand that the the ability to monetize monetize isn't that easy in the current model. So work work needs work needs to be done. And when you get brands going into it, the the danger is if you don't conduct the audit process correctly at the outset, you end up going down a path where to try and course correct to come back to something you can measure and show value can be very difficult. And at the point you've then produced and distributed, it's, a, it's hard to then course correct it and get it back on track. Okay, I mean, that's one question. I, and I, to be honest, we probably didn't do as much of a, a market audit as we maybe should have when we, when we were launching, um, launching this enterprise here. What does a, six, or what does a smart 
market audit look like if you're considering whether your your business needs or wants a podcast? Well, I think first of all, decide if it's a if it's, if it's a brand funded podcast. Is this internal or external? Let's not forget that one of the fastest growth markets for podcasting is internal because it's mobile first. And obviously you've got workforces now who are remote. So one of the smartest ways to reach people is audio because you can also capture the interviews far and wide without having to have a, a camera operator or someone going into the field. It can be done over a Go webinar, go to webinar link or Zoom or Teams or any other format. Um, but but to audit something, establish what you're doing it for, first of all. So just because you, just because you've got an idea, what's the outcome? What What is the metric going to be? So, yeah, when you look at an audit of something, it's like, right, we want to talk to who? Who's the audience? Is that audience already being served by great podcast content that's out there? If it's a saturated market, you need a high level of bravery and commitment to go into the market. Uh, yeah, I'm not suggesting if the market's busy. Don't don't do it. Absolutely, you know, there's there's you know there's competition in market, but it's how are you going to get seen? How are you going to get heard? And the reason I use the word seen because let's not forget YouTube is one of the fastest growing platforms for people consuming podcasts at the moment. So you know YouTube you associate with video. So you know a lot of people are actually publishing video based podcasts because people want to see the recording as it happens. But the concept is the is audio primarily. So if you're going to audit a market, who's the audience? Where can I find them? Is the market already being served by other podcasts? Now, if it is, unless you've got a level of bravery and commitment to focus on the content and the distribution and the promotion, you are you are in risky risky waters because you're about to commit to producing something where you haven't got your distribution strategy firmed up. You haven't got the investment to make sure you're going to get that share of voice. And then the risk you have is people, you end up producing stuff that you want to produce. But when you come to measure it post where the marketing pound turns around and says, well, what value did we get? Hmm. Sorry about that. And that's why you see, you very often don't see series two. Yeah, that's what, that's what we're trying to do with this. We've gone for a pivot. I mean, hopefully people have worked out by now what we're doing. We've season one was very tactical based we've done sort of abm we've done seo we've done what happens when you get people on the phone after the end of marketing and now we're trying to go through different industries and explore their perspectives so yeah this also, um, it was very deliberate for us to make to make a season two to make a break to try and i don't i don't think it's a course correction as such i think it's a can we keep it fresh and still relevant for the audience yeah and you and you, you pivot to what a market wants I think the key, you know, it's like if you were, you know, I, I would take the view, having been nearly 30 years working with brands in a broadcast arena, ultimately, if you if you are a program controller producer, you're measured on your audience figures. Quite, you know, that's, you, you can't, I won't say live or die, but radio presenters, TV presenters, producers are either in jobs or out of jobs, often because of whether they're holding the reach of an audience or not. Podcasting, yeah, the, the, the good and the bad of it, is I think in some realms, the expectation is quite low. But because people don't fully understand what success should or could look like, it's a bit of a gray area. In other words, you know, if you did a podcast, let's say you're getting a thousand listens, streams, downloads, subscriptions to each podcast. I'd argue that's, that's phenomenal. You know, that's, that's, that's tremendous, right? In a brand, in a kind of marketing podcast arena of, of this nature. 
But if you go to an audience and so if you sorry, went to a, a stakeholder and said, look, total reach is a thousand people, they might try and say, well, actually, it's not cost effective. There, there, there might be other routes to reach that audience. So I think it's very important when brands are looking at podcasting, they don't get carried away with the low barrier to entry and the vanity and the freedom of producing what you want. Because again, what's been interesting is, you know, when companies of old would do contract publishing, they'd bring in a contract publisher. When they were doing video, they'd bring in a video production company. Increasingly, we're seeing brands when it comes to audio doing a bit more in-house because the, the kit is available. The presenter is someone with, the presenter is not necessarily a professional presenter, it's someone with knowledge of sector. But again, I would argue, I think there is a skill in being a presenter. There is a skill in being able to link interviews, which is why very good presenters are worth their weight in gold to, to the networks. Yeah, if you said if you said to some of the presenters, you know, you've seen the salaries recently published for the BBC radio, BBC yeah. presenters, right? Why are they why are they paid that amount of money? It's not just because they sound okay. It's because actually the research that goes into finding out whether the audience buy into them, resonate, that are they increasing the reach and that kind of, they, they have a market value. Because I believe there is a skill, having worked this is there is a skill in a very good presenter. Yeah, I'm trying to remember which radio one. I think it was Nick Grimshaw when he took over me. You know, what about ten years ago now? He took over the breakfast show. And they said one of his objectives was actually to drive away like an older section of their listeners and try in and sort of in favour of a younger, younger demographic. I think that's quite bold yeah. saying we want you to get rid of this section of people that currently listen to the show. Yeah, I mean, is it, I mean, radio stations are fascinating because if you can imagine, the, ra the radio station is going to cater for an audience. So Radio 1 was, used before Six Musics, Radio 1 was, you, you would break an artist on Radio 1. If you got on the playlist of Radio 1, you were made. You know, I grew up with Steve Wright, Mr. Angry, you know, it's kind of in, in the sort of late 70s and early 80s of Radio 1. The danger, the danger of the radio station, you, you know, I'm in my 50s now. I don't listen to Radio 1 anymore. Radio 1 doesn't really want me listening. What it wants is me back then. It, it, you know, so they want me to have moved from Radio 1 to Radio 2 potentially. And that's why the age profile of Radio 2, you would have noticed, dropped slightly. It went from being very much a much older demographic to trying to be maybe a 30, 35 plus up. So the idea being, if you were leaving Radio 1, you didn't suddenly fill into this void and disappear into the commercial network. So, but podcast is a bit different. I rate radio, the talent's there, but podcast was a bit, is a bit different because podcast is about building, trying, trying to build up a loyal, loyal audience could be based on interests. But yeah, most podcasts won't necessarily be music-based or currency. You know, we, what was interesting is the vast growing genre of podcasts is news. But that's just because people want to consume. It's, it's, it's what we call it the Netflix generation. You know, you don't, you don't, it's not necessarily an age piece. But listen, I still love telly. I love radio. I just want to choose to consume it when it suits me, as well as watching or listening when it's actually being broadcast. And obviously what podcasts do, you know, you, you know, I personally, you know, I work from an office, work from home. I can't work in silence. Sometimes I don't want the radio. So I just put a podcast on. It's easy. You know, it's, it's companionship. So yeah, I mean, when we're talking about the Netflix generation and the balance between on-demand and as it happens, radio, I'm interested to think, think what I'm interested to hear what your impression of Clubhouse is, because that kind of swings things massively the other way to being very much in the moment. Is it something 
podcasters need to be worried about as as competition do you think no uh, it's in its most simplest sense um the, the pod, podcasting is you know obviously it's a fashionable term but it, it's radio on it's audio on demand if and the concept of that is on demand now granted but you know you've got podcasts live there's a format where people take shows on the road they try and monetize it with you know audiences you know my dad wrote a porno very famously went on the road sold the rights but the reality is a podcast in the main is about choosing to listen when you want to listen on catch up clubhouse yeah you can join the club so i've seen people talk around it's like a podcast but live but then it's, to me my you know you know in my my purest sense i'll tell someone that's not really a podcast that's a that's a clubhouse's yeah, you're, you're going into a conference call. Obviously, it's a glorified conference yeah. call. It's meet social network. I think the other interesting thing with a podcast, you know, Clubhouse, you know, I've, I've, been, in, I've been in audio brand new 30 years. And I'm fascinated by, by the hype that was around Clubhouse. But, you know, you could do a power hour now call. Just give people the, the number to dial in and just have a chit chat about anything. You know, what's the difference between that and a WhatsApp group, group chat? Where you get on an audio call, you know. Yeah. The difference is with Clubhouse, it wants your data. So I think what I find interesting is for you to then to share your invitation of Clubhouse, it asks you for access to your contacts. Well, in today's world, I'm I'm convinced that privacy is going to become more important to people, and I don't think to get involved in a conversation you want to give access to all your contacts. So I'm I'm quite confident, uh, and good luck to Clubhouse, and you know I wish them all the best. I'm sure they'll go on to establish uh, an incredible market value, and you know me me uh, me me leave me with egg on my face in terms of that side of things. But in terms of a podcast, it's competition to podcasting. It's like a live radio show. It's not even a radio show because that's an insult to radio programming because the production values that go into producing a live radio program are extensive. What are the production values to a live conversation at Clubhouse? In a nice way, you and I could suddenly decide, I'll tell you what, let's have this chat. Let's invite another 30, 50, 100, 200 people in. As long as they're willing to share their contacts with us, great. And they can have a listen. They can then ask us questions. Well, that's not a podcast. It's an, the only no, thing that think- it is an audio format. That's it. You know, I think if I'm not mistaken, I believe, maybe correct me on this, but I'm, I'm sure I read that they got done in the States because they got found to be recording an encrypted conversation. Yet the whole premise well, of the whole premise clubhouse doesn't get recorded. Yeah, in the States, I'm not mistaken, I'm sure I read it in Forbes or Guardian mm-hmm. or something. That actually they got they got because they'd been recording conversations. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, if I, you know, someone in the, as I'm someone in the podcast industry, um, I can assure you I'm not quaking in my boots yet about the, uh, the uh, growth or not, should we say, of, of Clubhouse. Fair enough. Yeah, actually production values is the other thing I think we should probably pick up on. Like you say, if it is a saturated market, are there, are there basic things that the average person like me can do to, to make the podcast that notch or two notches better than the companies to elevate it enough to start standing out? Where do you start with that? Yeah, I think that, so, in, yeah, my, my wider response to you is, how do you make your podcast successful? 
So if you're if you're a brand, how how do you make sure that your investment in podcasting generates a return where all stakeholders are going to say, yep, great result, worth doing. We've got a metric of value that came out the back of that. One of them is production values, but production values isn't just the quality of the mic. It's not just the quality of it. It's it's the pre-production. You know, if you again, if if you if you if if you're a brand and you're planning to do a podcast series, think of it as I'm going to produce a radio series that's going to play out on a particular station. So what it will do is if someone says, actually, I want my series to be a bit more five live than Radio 4, or I might want it Radio 2, or I might want it a bit Discovery Channel. In other words, decide beforehand the tonality and style, the pace of what you want your series to be. Well, who's going to present it? Have you decided on whether you're going to use a professional presenter or present it yourself? Are you going to go into pre-production? Have you got a researcher? Are you going to do your homework? Are you going to prep the spokespeople, your interviewees? How are you going to call them? When? What's involved in that conversation? Then in the post-production and the edit, what's the duration of the edit? How are we going to edit? What are we editing on? You know, people don't want a 30-second music sting at the start of a podcast. Yet, for some reason, an awful lot of podcasts out there have got 30-second music stings. People, audience, audiences tell us in all the research and data, they don't want it. So don't do it. But And this is where, when it comes to production, I would, I would, argue, I would, I would recommend people... Listen to what it is the audience are going to want to hear. And as close as possible, see if you can produce that. And the solution often is a bit of a hybrid. It's you, it's you producing and delivering your messaging of what you want to produce, but in a style and a tone that the listener is going to want to hear it. You know, there's, 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 some, you know, there's great examples out there. But in addition to the production, the way you get noticed is you've got to focus on your promotion distribution. You can produce the best podcast in terms of quality of content. If no one knows about it, it's going nowhere. No one's going to listen. No one's going to subscribe. No one's going to download. And again, it amazes me that not everyone is picking up on the technique that people used for YouTube a few years ago, which was think of all the effort that would normally go into your first episode. So hopefully what you would be doing, you'll be running some promotional spend, if you're up on YouTube now, you've actually put your spend into YouTube as well as Twitter and Facebook and other, and other social networks. You're going to cross promote you on your digital and social channels as the organization. You're going to try and have a, maybe a link on your SIG file and email. Otherwise, you're going to make sure the asset of the audio is pushed far and wide as hard as possible. Because if you don't, you're not going to get noticed. But if you do that as a really good job to start with, encourage people to subscribe if you're producing a series. Because what people forget is if you don't, if people don't subscribe, so if someone downloads it or listens to it, you know, click to play, but doesn't subscribe, you're gonna to have to do exactly the same level of promotion again, potentially, for the second episode. So again, you know, as much effort that goes into the pre-production, the production and the post, I would argue as much effort, if not more so, needs to go into your promotion and distribution. Because without that, you're not going to have the success that you, you know, potentially the podcast would deserve. Yeah, but you can tell immediately when, like when guy we use Anchor to sort of host our one, and you can see it on the, on the, it gives you a graph of when, of listens, day, day by day, week by week. 
And you can tell which days the, the promotional campaigns roll out, especially the email ones, because the spikes are just whoom, just for a bit. And it, you know, there's, there's a tolerable level. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you some examples. What you yeah. might call organic traffic. Yeah, I mean, to give you an example, yeah, two, yeah. two series we're involved in. One, one is Slater and Gordon. Um, it's called The Case Files. 100,000 downloads, paying subscribers, great series, real life case studies, made it to number one in the iTunes true crime podcast charts. Yeah, this, this is non-fiction for a law firm, legal practice. But what they, they just used real life clients as case studies to discuss very emotive stories, but they very, which was great content, but then very importantly, they created the case files, had its own social channels. So rather than, the, rather than just promote it on Slater and Gordon's social channels, they create social channels for the case files. And so they built, they built the brand, the case file, they built, they, they built the program. In the same way, you know, if you, were, if you were on mainstream BBC or ITV, you'd find that actually people would build the brand of the show, not just the channel. And you know, I think brands can do exactly the same if they're committed to it. But this is the thing, you need, without bravery and commitment, you're not, again, you're not gonna do yourself justice in trying to get the most effective results. And then to give you an idea about platforms, we produced a series for Rosetta Stone around languages. The first series promoted traditional social channels, you know, Twitter, Facebook, and the like. The second series we've been promoting on YouTube. And each, each episode now is averaging about 35,000, which is, you know, yeah, exactly. Now, that's the power of YouTube. You know, there's, so, you know, we, we've noticed when we used to advertise on other social channels, get a few thousand views, a few thousand, sorry, a few thousand downloads rather, a few thousand listens, build a subscriber base. But just by suddenly auditing the market, seeing the trend of the growth in YouTube as a podcast platform, decided to put a small amount of spend behind YouTube, take 5,000. So you can see, again, the right promotion in the right channels can make a massive difference. So, yeah, of course, you know, we produce it. So, of course, I'm going to say the content's great. Um, but the content being great is not the reason for its success. You know, the, the big, big difference between Series 1 and Series 2 has been our distribution strategy, giving it focus on YouTube also. And suddenly the numbers are accelerating. Now, if you'd asked me 18 months ago about YouTube, I wouldn't have necessarily had YouTube on my radar as my, one of my social channels for promoting the podcast. But we record the video as well now. Yeah. How does that spin out? Oh, that's a um, debate I saw going on LinkedIn as well whether a podcast, a, a brand podcast, should have its own website as well. Like I've been wrestling with whether we should have our own social channels, but should you have your own? I mean, it wouldn't have to be the same size as your full company site, but do you think it should have its own site entirely, or is that just going to split your marketing efforts? across you're trying to pull people to do it in different places and it loses something no if you're committed do it i think this and this is the piece isn't it it's about whether people are doing podcasts tipping their toe in half committed let's give it a go let's see if it works not haven't got necessarily no metrics at the outset and my commitment is eight six episodes eight episodes so oh, for six eight episodes i'm not going to make as much effort if your commitment is and I, I think the interesting part for me also the podcast for a brand 
is it allows the brand to have a slightly different tone of character about their voice. Podcasts allow the brand to be a bit more personal. You know, people don't want to listen to corporate puff. Yeah, there's an awful lot of organizations out there who are driven by corporate governance, compliance, of course, and everyone understands that. So the main websites and the main marketing channels tend to be quite formulaic, quite templated, because that's the way it's always been done kind of thing. And it's, you know, it's, it's what we need to do. Yet with, with podcasting, brands, quite rightly, give themselves a bit more freedom of license. So it might be you're a corporate brand, but you want to have a bit of a personality. Well, you know, you got you will be, you know, you might have a few internal battles in expressing that personality on the corporate website, on the corporate social channels. Yet by creating a separate brand identity for your series allows you different things. So, you know, and it's no different. If you look at if you look at the traditional media owners in broadcast, that's what they do. If you look at the BBC, the BBC's website is the BBC's website. Yeah. Discovery's website is good. But look, go and look at the <laughs> go and look at the social channels for Attenborough, you know, the Blue Planet. Very, very yeah. different. And, that, and that's and now Click, BBC Click, BBC Click is a slightly different tone of voice to the corporate BBC. So I think the opportunity for brands, and obviously, you know, it's, it's on a brand to brand basis. But I think there are if the brand is wrestling a little bit with historically wanting to express itself slightly different to the main corporate voice, it can do it. And it also works when you've got the corporate holdings separate to the individual trading businesses that might have slightly different personalities. So, you know, having seen the success of the case files and others, if, and I said, if the client has the bravery and commitment to go beyond the tests and dipping the toes in the water and approaches podcasting strategically, audits the market, outlines what its metrics are going to be at the start, then it's unlikely they would say no to creating their own social channel because it's going to be a big part of driving the metrics. Cool. There we go. I think that's given me certainly a lot of homework to do to go and see if we should start that marketing podcast.co.uk. It sounds like quite an interesting if nothing else, an interesting bit of research into exactly how we're how we're getting out there. So I think we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on that. And I hope we've inspired some people to dip their toes in, to, to do the audit, to do some research and get involved in the podcast explosion. It's been brilliant. Thank you very much indeed for having me. It's been great. Thank you for joining us for another episode of That Marketing Podcast. You clearly have wonderful taste. We hope you found the content useful and and enjoyed it. We'd love you to subscribe wherever it is you're listening to us. Maybe leave us a review if you can think of a topic that you, you'd like us to cover or even if you fancy coming on the podcast and sharing your own experience on a particular topic, uh, you can reach us at marketingteam at spotler.co.uk. Thanks once again and happy marketing.